open his word and we give attention to it that is fitting of the words of we have the the living word of God revealing himself in the written word of God and so we open his word this morning to hear not the words of men not to just look at a textbook not to look at a history book not to look at a rule book but we open his word to hear from him and i trust that even as we're uh, inspired properly uh, provoked in the best way through the ministry of song like that that we'll turn and give our attention uh, to the word of god this morning we'll dismiss the children that take part in children's church you can make your way up front parents want you to do that out by the piano here this morning and invite the rest of you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 in our Bibles this morning and we are continuing our philosophy of ministry series and we will this morning Uh, be introducing a new guidepost in that series and if that kind of terminology is uh, a little foreign or maybe for all of us we need a little refresher i would just say that uh, this matter of articulating a philosophy statement uh, we have said is a lot like planning a trip Uh, you have to first establish your destination and then you start to chart a course uh, to get there in the most efficient manner possible and the bible has established the final destination for every church it is that we would be to the exhibiting and the praising of god's glory we are to function like a telescope lens that fastens on an object that Uh, might uh, look small to the unaided eye because it is so far away but through the lens of the telescope we're able to see something of the magnificence of of that planet that again may be just a small dot in the sky but it may well be larger than the very earth that we live on and the comparison to that is the fact that to many people the God of the Bible, they know exists, but he actually seems relatively small and insignificant in terms of relevance to their life because he's so far away. And God intends that people learn more of the magnificence of our great God through what is going on in the life of a church. And I actually, as I was saying it, I said that people learn, but when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, God is actually determined that the angels of heaven learn more of the manifold wisdom of God through what is going on in a local church. Through the way that we relate to God, through the way that we relate to each other and the unbelievers around us, our church is to be like a lens through which people see the magnificence of god and with this motivation of glorifying god as that's the destination we're trying to get to we have some guideposts and some checkpoints uh, regarding what we do even when we gather together for services like this 
What, what is our general approach to preaching? What are the components to a service? And, and even the style and the atmosphere uh, and the culture of our services and so on. But it is obvious that there is more to a church than just sitting in a service and listening to preaching. And I was just uh, thinking back to this week, and, and even, you know, we look at a service like this this morning, and uh, all that has gone into even preparing and handling the audiovisual functions that we've been blessed with this morning and that are even being used right now to help us profit from and engage in the ministry of the Word. Uh, some have prepared and have ministered their prepared music from the special we just heard to uh, the piano to our choir and the orchestra and all that goes into that. We've been led in scripture reading. We've been led in congregational singing. Some prepare refreshments, Sunday school lessons and Bible study uh, from our toddlers riding up through our adults and just now we have, we've dismissed some to minister in children's church and there's others in the nursery and some of you gave rides to others uh, to church today and do that on a regular basis. But before we ever got here, there are people that uh, mowed the yard and some were here for hours yesterday doing setup and takedown and cleanup for various functions so, you know, the building could be ready for today. And some of you minister effectively through hospitality and Expressing tangible needs of care for others. I, I know I'm always blessed I go in to see one of our shut-ins and to find out others from the church have been there before me or have sent cards. And, and, you know, we can go on. There's the counting and recording of offerings and making deposits. And then over the course of a year, there just are so many hours that are invested in the education uh, and discipleship of our children through Easley Christian School and our summer day camp. And and I've not even gotten to what we're just on the verge of. And that is vacation Bible school. And all that goes into that from preparing set and skit and the canvassing and, and then the carrying it out and all the different roles in VBS itself and Christmas programs and all of it. it and it takes all of that, takes all of us to partner together in finances and partner together in prayer with our missionaries all around the world that are attempting to do the same things we're attempting to do here. And, and the skills and the gifts and the activities that, that are represented by uh, the, the various functions that I've just mentioned and others I haven't, the, the, the skill and the gifting that it takes is as varied as what can be observed in all of life. But in our case, as part of this church, they, 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 they are like spokes on the wheel, but the hub of all of that is great commission ministry of this one local church. And the text that we have turned to this morning and we want to consider together tells us that we should expect it to be that way. We should expect gifts, strengths, skills, interests, abilities, all of that, even within a church, to be as varied as life itself, but with a particular focus. And uh, those of you that have some familiarity with the book of Corinthians would know that in chapters 12 through 14, 
Uh, Paul is really addressing a church that was magnifying one gift, the gift of tongue speaking. They, they were magnifying that one gift as like the ultimate sign of the Spirit's work in the life of a church. And against the backdrop of their elevating this one, there's a focus in our text this morning, which begins in verse 4, on diversity of gifting. Notice verse 4, we'll read down through verse 7. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And again, I I think just in the simple reading of that, you, you did not miss the emphasis on diversity. It's underscored. Maybe it's helpful for you as you go back to read to do something to underline circle. But uh, we have the repetition of the word diversity in verse 4. And we have, in verse number 5, same concept, but differences. And then in verse number 6, again, we're back to diversity. Diversity, differences, diversity. And my guess is that if you gave your own summary uh, to that section, you would probably also add, because I think you see it, that it is God who's the one that has given the diverse set of gifts. And obviously, that's the conclusion at the end of verse 6. If you look there, it is the same God which worketh all these gifts in the believers. So that's clear. But what some may have missed at first glance, uh, that is both interesting and I think is really insightful, is that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. If you go back into verse 4 again, the different gifts come from which person of the Godhead? At the end of verse 4, it's the same what? Holy Spirit, all right? In verse 5, the differences in administrations come from who? Okay, they come from the Lord there, which is the expression Paul used after his conversion. I don't know if you remember, but on the road to Damascus, you know, the bright light has thrust him to the ground. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he thought, how could I be doing that? He thought he was doing God's service. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And from then on, Paul used this expression, the Lord, to refer to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we have verse 4, the Holy Spirit, in verse 5, We have the Lord Jesus, and in verse 6, the differences of operations come from who? Okay, and you see that there, God, and and obviously the Father is not mentioned, but again, it would be common for Paul to speak of both the Father and the Son, and he would talk about the Lord Jesus and God, even our Father, right? That is a reference to the Father. So what we really have is we have this Trinitarian mention. Verse 4, the Spirit. Verse 5, the Son. Verse 6, the Father. And that's more than just a, a matter of curiosity and academics. What we need to take note of is that when Paul wanted to confront the error of highlighting just one specific gift to the exclusion of the others, he emphasized that the diversity of gifts 
is rooted in God himself. And when he did that, he emphasized that God is three persons in one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, while being of one indivisible uh, essence, they co-equally, co-eternally God in the course of history have carried out different roles and different functions, both in the administration of creation, but in the salvation of man, they carry out different roles and functions. And when it comes to salvation, the scripture is clear that God the Father purposed and planned to save sinners like you and me. It was God in Ephesians chapter 1 that chose us before the foundation of the world. He purposed and planned. But God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, again is the one who provided salvation. I can go back to Ephesians. God chose us in Christ, and in Christ we have redemption through his what? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. God the Son is the one who provided for our salvation by taking on the form of a man, living a righteous life, submitting to the bloody death on the cross in our place. And it is God the Spirit. God the Father plans. God the Son provides for. But God the Holy Spirit is the agent of gospel application. He's the one that convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's the one that draws to Christ. He's the one that grants new life, being born again by the Spirit of God. All right, so they, these three, who are completely perfect unity, function in harmony while exercising diverse roles. Now, brethren, here's here's where we come to, because... This is the very nature of our God. Exalting one particular gift to the exclusion of others cannot be spiritual. The diversity of gifts, diversity of gifted individuals functioning together in the unity of one church body for the sake of the Great Commission. That is not just a decision made by God. That is something that reflects the very nature of who God is. That's why that would be something that is truly spiritual and lets other people see God. And with verse 7... Paul begins to make some conclusions about this discussion of diversity and unity rooted in the nature of God. And he starts to make them in regards to life in the church. Notice verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And I'm just going to take that conclusion that he wraps up just piece by piece. And And first of all, we need to note that the manifestation of the Spirit, that very first phrase, is a reference to the Spirit's bestowing on believers gifts for ministry. What's just been talked about? Diversities of gifts in verse 4. By the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is the Spirit giving believers gifts. And I'm not going to go into multiple cross-references this morning, but those gifts are Holy Spirit-given, energized abilities, and from broader considerations... 
we could add that some of those gifts really are naturally inherited. Some of those gifts seem to be miraculously endowed. That is, sometimes God equips somebody to do what seems to run contrary to their natural abilities. Some of these, it appears, would be temporary functions to kind of meet a pressing need. Others are more permanent. But, but what we can note from this passage is this common denominator that these gifts are quickened. They're, they're made alive and vital for service in the church by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why they are the manifestation of the Spirit. But then notice that this equipping of the Spirit for ministry that this verse is talking about is given to how many? It's given to every man. This manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Now, this is a case where uh, we have an every reference that is limited by the context under discussion. In this case, it's not a reference to every man that has ever lived somewhere on the face of the earth. It, it is a reference to every believer that is part of the body of Christ. All right, no believers, no believers are excluded when it comes to receiving the Spirit's equipping for service. And I just want to say that again no believer is excluded. Somebody says, well, I can't do what so-and-so can do. I don't think that I really have any gifts. No, this passage is telling us, and honestly, we just need to reckon on this and count on it, that God said no believer is excluded from being equipped to serve. And, and I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves just in terms of the flow of our text, but look down to verse 12. You can see this emphasis made again in verse 12. For as the body is one... And hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. And again, he's talking now about the physical body, and we have various limbs and organs as part of the one body. But then he finishes by saying, the way that is in the body, so also is Christ. Notice verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So, all those who are in Christ, right? <clears throat> if you're part of the body of Christ, then you've had the same experience of the Spirit in this discussion at hand. Every believer has been given gifts for service in the church of Christ. And that truth is clearly stated here. It was also implied back in verse 6. I wanted to go ahead and get what verse 7 tells us and verse 12 goes us, tells us. So go back to the last expression of verse 6. And I, I'm trusting that a number of you already have notes to yourself because we've been here before. All right, but I just want to have the, the reference points in that last phrase. It's the same God in verse 6, which worketh all in all. There's two alls there. And the first time the word all is used, is in a, it is in reference to all the gifts. It's the same God which worketh all the gifts in all, and the second time it's used, it's a reference to all the believers. God is the one that is the source of the gifts. 
And God does give all the gifts. So nobody has any gift that they didn't get from God. He's the source of it. But God has given gifts to all believers. He has given them by his spirit to every child of God that is in here this morning. And then notice what he has in mind, the end that he has in mind in verse 7. So this manifestation of the Spirit that's given to every man, if you're a believer in Christ, you have it, is given in the last phrase for the prophet of the whole, to profit with all as we have it there, the prophet of the whole. You, you could even just say a little more loosely, the common good. Right? The reason the Spirit of God has given every believer gifts is so that your gifts might function within the context of a local church, that is, this body that you're a part of, to be a blessing to every other part of the body for the profit of the whole. And I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the only other cross-referencing we're going to do this morning. But I, I want you to look with me at a parallel passage emphasizes the same truths and takes us a bit forward again, even in our philosophy of ministry. Notice in Ephesians 4 and verse 7, I just want to go there that we, we see we're in the same kind of passage, a parallel passage. In verse 7, but unto every one of us, and again, that everyone is a reference to believers in the body of Christ, unto every one of us is given grace. And, and you might want to note that the word grace is the same word that is translated gifts on multiple occasions. And in this context, you'll see it's a reference to that same kind of endowment for ministry. So that every one of us in the body of Christ has been given these spirit-enabled gifts. And you can see the rest of the verse, it's according to the measure of Christ. That is the gift of Christ. This is... what the Spirit gives to the body is really what Christ has empowered the Spirit to do for the sake of the advancement of his own body. And as you go into verses 8 through 10, and you can just see even a reference to his ascending up on high as he led captivity captive. But verse 9 says, the one that ascended is the one who first descended into the lower parts. He left heaven to come where we are. Then he that descended, in verse 10, is the same that ascended far up above where he is now, all heavens, that he might fill all things. And and I know there's just some general references there, but the descending of Christ to come to this earth was so that he could accomplish the, the atoning, saving work and provide the full resources for that. And after he came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, paying our penalty, was buried in the grave, rose three days later, he's ascended back up to heaven. All right, all of that is just kind of summarized in those few phrases. But what it tells us is this in the context that one of the benefits of the atoning work of Christ. One of, the, one of the ends of Christ giving himself on the cross was to provide for the full resources of the effective functioning of his church. He came so that our sins might be forgiven. 
but he also came so that he might provide for us as part of the body of Christ all that we need as a church to function in representing him in the earth. And when the discussion of the gifts that was given in verse, it started in verse 7. When that discussion is picked up in verse number 11, the apostle first points to some gifted men who were gifts to the church. So you can see in verse 11, now I'll even just say it this way, the ascended Christ gave. He gave some apostles and he gave some prophets. And as we look at the rest of the scripture, those were men that functioned in the early days in the establishment and the grounding of the church. But the ascended Christ has also given, the rest of verse 11, he has given some pastors, he's given some, I'm sorry, evangelists, and he's given some pastor teachers that continue right into this day. And notice, rolling right into verse 12, a primary role of these gifted men, a primary role of the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, a primary role is that they would do this in verse 12, perfect the saints. That is, see the saints come to maturity in every area of life, but even to see the saints come to maturity in terms of, of serving with their gifts. So that, then the grammar is more clear in the Greek, the perfecting of the saints is for the saints, the next phrase, to do the work of the ministry. And when the saints, that is, again, I know I'm having to sometimes circle back. But when every believer is functioning in the empowerment of the Spirit of God with the gifts he has given. And when they are involved in the work of the ministry, they're not just watching everybody else do the work, they're involved in the work of the ministry. When the saints are being equipped to do the work of the ministry, what happens in the last part of the verse? We minister one to another to the mutual edifying of the body of Christ. And again, I would just have us note that the body of Christ is another way of referring to the what? <laughs> The church, which is his body, Ephesians chapter 1 says. All right, brother, not only should an individual believer be compelled to join a local church, but in keeping with the emphasis that we are seeing in these texts, they should recognize that they have been saved in part to serve. And... <clears throat> Brethren, God has gifted you. If God has saved you by his grace through faith in his son, then he has gifted you by his spirit to minister in and serve many of you, most of you, with this body for the profit of the whole. And someone has said, I, I heard it since I was a little boy, I, I actually kind of veered away from saying it because it seemed like it had been said so many times and it could almost be trite. But I've come back to looking at passages like this and, and I say it unapologetically. If you're not a serving saint, you are a what? You're a sending saint. 
Honestly, that has the weight of, if I go back to it, that has the weight of the mind of the living word. If, if we're not serving, listen, he sent his spirit to equip all that are in him to serve with and to the church that he has united them with. That phrase, not a serving saint, a sinning saint, has the authority of these texts. Now, the ways we serve are diverse. The gifts and the strengths we have are diverse. And you come down to verse number 16. I don't have the time to drop in all the way throughout this passage. But notice verse 16. We read, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And, and you can see, I think, an emphasis again on unity here. You can look at that phrase, joined together. And right, right after that even, joined together and compacted. All right? So, so we're not all lone strangers. We're not just out there doing our own thing everywhere. There's, there's a joining together. There's being a compacted together. But at the same time, you notice emphasis on diversity. There is joined together, compacted by that which every joint says. Or according to the factual working in the measure of every part. There's different joints. There's different parts. But when the different parts, the different joints, when they're joined together and they are compacted together and they are functioning together, there is in unity, I should say this way perhaps, there is in diversity something that actually enhances our unity. <laughs> That is, when every one of us is just saying, I don't have to be somebody else. I just need to be what God made me to be. The strength that he's given me to be. And when I'll just take up whatever God's put in front of me to do my part, the unity of the whole is advanced and actually enhanced. That diversity, of course, is not a diversity of faith. You know, doctrinal differences just overlooked. Again, we don't have time to be all the way through here. But if you look at verse 13, it references unity. Till we all come in the unity of the what, though? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. All right? So we don't just overlook doctrinal things. And, and honestly, this is why we actually have to spend some time even on something like a philosophy of ministry. I mean, we have to spend time on foundational doctrinal things, and we have to spend time on philosophy of ministry to know where we're headed and why we're trying to get there the way that we're trying to get there. These things, they, they have, we have to spend some time on that. But with doctrinal foundations and even philosophy to why are we headed, where we're headed, with those things established, brethren, this emphasis on diversity means that we, all, we don't all need to be the same. Like we don't all need to respond the same way in every circumstance. And all of us need to keep remembering that everybody else doesn't have to think exactly the way I do. They don't have to operate exactly the way I do. 
Um, if, if, if we were all the same, right? And just think, this is the analogy that's given to us in the scripture. If we were all the same, we wouldn't be a body, right? With various members operating in conjunction with another. And, and, and we skipped over some of that, but he actually talks about the role of the hand and the role of the eye. And suppose the eye said, I don't want to be the eye anymore. I want to be the foot. <laughs> How does that work? You know, we're just going to be a giant eyeball rolling down the, down the street, right? <clears throat> we need the feet, don't we? We need the hands. We need the eyes. We need all the parts of the body. And not only does everybody else not have to think and operate the way I do, and that's brutal when that kind of thing starts to run in a church. Well, I don't really like so-and-so because they're not, you know, or they don't do like me, or I don't like their family because their family isn't going to contribute to whatever my thing is. What God needs to do is banish from us my thing, right? In terms of, you know, I'm thinking that everybody has to do the same as me. But I also, brethren, I also don't need to sit back and say, well, I'm not like so-and-so, so I don't think I belong here. Or I don't think there's a role for me because I can't do what she can do or I can't do what he can do. And, and what, what spiritually, again, spiritually mature people recognize that God has given every believer gifts for service in the church for the growth of the church as a whole. And ultimately for the advancement of the glory of God. And, and spiritually mature not only recognize that reality, but they give themselves to it. As really the priority of life. Dr. R. Kent Hughes pastored in Wheaton, Illinois for multiple decades. And he wrote some words towards the end of his pastoral ministry. And uh, we used these, I can't remember, it was a year ago, a year and a half ago in some Sunday school material, Bible study fellowship material, so some are going to hear very familiar words. But I I wanted to finish with um, this seasoned pastor commenting on what he had seen developing over the course of the last generation. He said, church attendance is infected with a malaise of conditional loyalty. It's produced an army of ecclesiastical hitchhikers. The hitchhiker's thumb says, you buy the car, pay for the repairs and upkeep and insurance, fill the car with gas, and I'll ride with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own, and I'll probably sue. (laughs) So it is the credo of so many of today's church attenders. You go to the meetings, serve on the boards and committees, you grapple with the issues, do the work of the church, pay the bills, and I'll come along for the ride. But if things do not suit me, I'll criticize and complain and probably bail out. My thumb is always looking for a better ride. This conditional loyalty, he says, is fueled by a consumer ethos, a Christian mentality, which pecks and chooses here and there to fill one's ecclesiastical shopping list. There are hitchhikers who attend one church for the preaching, send their children to a second church for its dynamic youth program, go to a third church's small group. Church hitchhikers have a telling vocabulary. I go to or I attend, but never I belong to. 
or I'm a member of. George Barna, Dr. Hughes quotes him, George Barna supports this saying, the average adult thinks that belonging to a church is good for other people, but represents unnecessary bondage and baggage for himself. So today we have a phenomenon unthinkable in any other century, churchless Christians. There's a vast herd of professed Christians who exist as nomadic nomadic hitchhikers without accountability, without discipline, without discipleship, living apart from the regular benefits of the ordinances. As to why the church has fallen on such hard times, historians tell us that it's an overemphasis on the invisible body of Christ by evangelical leaders that has produced an implicit disregard for the visible church. However, this is his last statement, however, membership in an invisible church without participation in its local expression is never contemplated in the New Testament. And I thank the Lord. I mean, we have represented here um, a number of of parachurch ministries and the best parachurch ministries para meaning alongside of the best parachurch ministries are the ones that come alongside of and strengthen and support local churches and we you know we have mission boards and camps and colleges and all of that represented and while we want to thank the lord for them and what we where we can and we utilize them obviously and where we can strengthen the the highest ideals in them it's possible for us in this day with all of that, you know, buffet out there of all the ways we can minister. It's possible for us to think, well, being confined to one little local church, you know, is just a little restrictive. And where my gifts need to shine is out there for the broad world of all these ministries that are out there. And brethren, wherever God puts you in life and in ministry, we need to be instructed that it is the mind of the church that the place my gifts are going to be most used is right within the body that he has directed me to, that local church. And the next guidepost, all right, and that's not all by way of introduction. That's to get us to this. I'm kind of stating the end. Uh, I'm stating the purpose statement at the end this morning. But the next guidepost of our philosophy of ministry is that we believe in every member ministry. And there's more to that statement we're going to continue to explore. We're going to pick up a little bit even tonight here. But a diversity of gifts and gifted individuals functioning in a unity of faith and purpose. We believe that is a guidepost on the way to glorifying God. And we don't believe it because we just kind of decided to go there. Look at where we finish. I, I want us to start in 1 Corinthians and finish in Ephesians because we've come back full circle. When we began this philosophy of ministry and said, what is our final destination? We started in Ephesians 1 through 3. What God is doing by Christ through the church for his glory. Look up at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse number 20 brings all those threads together. 
unto him, God the Father, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. And this isn't just kind of a small, limited time situation. It's throughout all ages, world without end. May all of God's people say, amen, we got it, that's it. We're right into chapter 4. And what kind of conduct on our part contributes to the glory of God? It's conduct that involves all of us ministering with the gifts given by the Spirit for the profit of the whole. And when that happens, a church is going in the direction of allowing the magnificence of God to be seen in the earth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to give uh, a moment of opportunity for all of us to respond to the voice of the Lord. This is his word. We get the opportunity to really hear from him. And it may be that some need to respond by saying to the Lord, I'm not even sure that I am united to Christ in a saving faith. I don't even know that I've been born again by the Spirit of God, that I have his, his Spirit in me doing all this. And it may be that someone here this morning needs to repent toward God and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can be of any help to you about that, I would love to, right after this service or any time, that you can talk to God right where you're at, right in your pew as well but others of us may need to just what my thinking is maybe i've overemphasized one particular thing maybe i've underappreciated the the body as a whole maybe i've been kind of feeling like well i'm not really gifted so it kind of excuses not serving and i just want to say for the sake of people's conscience and and those that are especially tender i there's seasons of life that you know, we understand whether it's age, health, uh, family matters, all those kind of things that sometimes there's seasons we can do what we can't do at other seasons. But nobody needs to say, I'm not needed here. All of us by faith to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Give me the strength to do it.